Good morning. Acts chapter 21. I arrived back in the Atlanta airport from New Orleans Wednesday evening, shortly before 10 p.m. And as we came down the escalator, the long escalator to head toward baggage claim and the exits, still three concourses away, mind you, my traveling companion asked me, do you want to walk or take the train? Now, praise the Lord, even in my fatigue, the filter between my brain and my mouth was still working because my first thought was, was this a conversation that we needed to have? Like, it made me a little bit self-conscious. So I don't know what kind of vibes I'm sending out that I'm the kind of guy that wants to walk all the way, but... Um, if you give me the choice between the easy way and the hard way, I'm going with the easy. Now, take the train or walk, no harm, no foul. But it's that way in other areas too, isn't it? See, I, uh, I'm like the blue Nintendo Switch controller in our house. I think you are also like the blue Nintendo Switch controller in our house. The blue controller is the one that they give to dad when we have the occasional game of FIFA or Mario Kart because it's their only chance of winning. But uh, the controller has a bad case of what the video game folks call Joy-Con Drift. This means that your little video game guy will constantly veer off course. In the case of our blue one, it's to the left. So you may be trying to run your guy straight, but he won't run straight. He's going to constantly veer to the left. And so if you want him to run straight, you're going to have to apply a precise amount of rightward course correction in order to keep him going straight. It's the same as if you've ever driven a car that's out of alignment. It will veer a certain way if you're not intentional to correct its course. Faced with the directions of easy one way, difficult the other, I am, and I think you are too, predisposed to drift toward the easy and the comfortable and away from the hard and sacrificial. So if you bring me to a fork in the road and you tell me that one way leads to suffering, imprisonment, and even death, I'm fairly inclined to take the other way. Hard is bad, easy is good, that's my default, and I don't think I'm the only one. Of course, of course, we know that sometimes the difficult way is the way that the Lord is calling us down. We know that following Christ means giving of ourselves, of our time, talents, and treasure for his purposes. But can we agree together that choosing the way of sacrifice, even for such a high goal as the glory of God, is not the way that we most naturally drift toward. Our passage today is a call to persevere in pouring out our lives for the name of Jesus. 
to fix our eyes on the glories of the finished work of Jesus and then beholding that as ultimate to give up all lesser things, even, if our, even our very breath, if that's what he calls us to, for the sake of that chief end, that the name of Jesus would be lifted high all over the world. Three things as we pick up the story. Remember that Paul has just had a solemn farewell with the Ephesian elders. Our text today will describe his journey toward Jerusalem, highlighting his stops and his visits with the church in Tyre, Ptolemy, and Caesarea before finally arriving in Jerusalem. Second, we already know that Paul feels called by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. We saw in chapter 19 that Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. In chapter 20, he says, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. So as one scholar notes, whether Paul will go, will or should go to Jerusalem is already settled in the narrative. Third, broadly, the author, Luke, portrays Paul's journey to Jerusalem in a way that is meant to remind us of Jesus' own journey to Jerusalem. In his gospel, Luke gives significant space to Jesus' journey towards Jerusalem, and he does the same here with Paul in Acts. In his gospel, Luke highlights over and over that Jesus knew what would face him in Jerusalem and yet marches onward. Luke 9, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. In the same way as Jesus, Paul knows that suffering will await him and yet goes forward. As the master goes, so goes the disciple. That's one big picture thing we should see from the text. Let's read this morning from 21, 1 through 17. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes. And from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, And we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles." 
When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Let's pray. Father, stir in us now a zeal for your glory that fades the cares of this world into the background. Give to each one of us here a clarity of the part you have for them to play in your kingdom. As I preach, may your spirit apply your word on the hearts of your people. And then grant us a holy unwavering resolve to see that through. Amen. Uh, Allow me to offer a caveat this morning, which I suspect is true every week, but I feel a burden to make clear today. As you listen this morning, you may find yourself in one of three places, and I want to state that from the outset. First, you may listen to these truths this morning and find that you are already living them out, right? Like that happens sometimes. Sometimes we listen to a sermon and we're like, I'm doing that. And for you, I hope that you walk away encouraged that you take this as a shot in the arm. Second, you may listen to these truths this morning and say, I'm so far short of any of that. I don't even know if I agree with that. May the Lord begin chipping away at you this morning, however, you, however he sees fit. Third, and I suspect that many of us find ourselves here, you may listen this morning and find that you're somewhere in between. Knowing these truths, even loving these truths, and yet still finding that sometimes we need to slow down, take inventory, and make some changes. That's where I would locate myself this morning. I'm going to plead with you this morning because that's what this text calls for, to persevere in pouring out your life for the name of the Lord Jesus. And as I do, and as I may allude to the great headline-grabbing sacrifices of the few, I don't want you who are in the middle with me, to miss out on searching our own lives for what God may want us to do with these truths. May the Spirit of God use the Word of God to stir up the people of God. The task before Paul is already settled before we get to our passage. He is called to Jerusalem. In 21, we see him making the journey there. We see him following through with what he knows the Lord has called him to do. We see him persevering in the task to which he is called. 
First, note how Paul perseveres in community. While it may first jump out to us that Paul receives pushback from the church, and we'll get there, note how the entirety of this passage is shot through with deep relational connections to the people of God. In verse 1, as Paul and his traveling cohort set out from Miletus, from his time with the Ephesian elders, the ESV translates, when we had parted from them. But it may be more literally translated, as some of your Bibles may have, when we had torn ourselves away from them. In verse 4, upon landing in Tyre, we're told they sought out the disciples, which implies that they didn't know them. They had to go looking for them, but they wanted to gather with the people of God nonetheless. There in Tyre, a people previously unknown, Paul has a relatively brief contact of just seven days, and still he builds such a bond that we get a picture of a heartfelt departure as they, together with their whole families, accompany him to the beach, kneel down and pray before they carry on. In Ptolemy, they have a one-night layover, but still Paul is going to make time to greet the brothers and sisters. You can look in verse 4, 7, 8, and 16 of the hospitality that Paul received from the church in each city. Paul, who was previously the enemy of the church, going from house to house to imprison and breathed threats of murder against the church, has now, so that even his, previously, even his, the, the disciples would not allow him in because he, they were afraid of him. Now Paul is being welcomed into the home of the disciples. Verse 16, the believers from Caesarea even go with Paul, they leave Caesarea, go with Paul to make sure that he has suitable lodging in Jerusalem with, at the home of Nason. And then in verse 17, we read that the Jerusalem Christians received them gladly. So no doubt, Paul's a traveling minister, but Paul didn't just minister to the churches, to the people he visited. He also received ministry from the people he visited. As he told the Roman church, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul and his traveling companions had family wherever they went. Because of their union in Christ, they were then united to each other. They had a place to stay. Even in a short time, they had genuine, heartfelt, common bonds. Uh, in a small way, my wife and I experienced something of this last summer in Dublin, Ireland. Waking up on a Sunday, we got a taxi to Ballycullen Community Church, which is a pillar network church there. And after the service, their practice, which I love, by the way, is to have a tea time afterwards so that the church can just linger together and fellowship. And in conversation, an older saint named Francis learned that we were heading from there to downtown Dublin which meant that we would need to catch a taxi to the closest train station and then take the train station in, take the train in. Uh, Miss Francis would have none of that. 
She insisted that she would drive us the 15 to 20 minutes to the train station. And more than that, she was adamant that we must secure a cheaper train fare by buying a card from a local convenience store. And look, I have a hard time telling an old lady no. So um, the only problem with that is that Miss Frances hadn't bought a train fare in a while. So she took us to store after store, walked in, asked for the particular card, and then heard, we don't sell those anymore. But secretly, I didn't want to find one. Because as we got in her car, she began telling us how she met the Lord Jesus how she was overseas doing humanitarian work and God moved on her heart about the emptiness, how he opened her eyes, how she'd been connected to the local church, and then how she'd gone out years earlier to help plant Valley Colon Community Church. And then as we arrived at the train station, she parked her car, walked us to the terminal to make sure that we pushed the right button to get to downtown Dublin, and we parted ways. And there, Leah and I learned that we had family on the outskirts of Dublin. I'm preaching to the choir a bit this morning because you have all come together with other believers this morning. But though you be here today, maybe someone needs to hear this. Union with Christ is inherently a union with his people, the church. If you love Jesus and I love Jesus, we have far more in common than anything we may differ on. The idea of a just me and God faith that isn't intimately connected with the people of God is foreign to the pages of the New Testament. Paul perseveres in community. Going on, Paul perseveres against pushback. We've already seen from chapter 19 and 20, that Paul knows what the Spirit is calling him to do. And further, we know from 20, verse 23, that Paul is well aware of the suffering that may lie ahead, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. While in Tyre, they seem to get some prophetic sense of the what that awaits Paul, and taking that, they tell him he must not go. And then in Caesarea, our old friend Agabus that we last saw in Acts chapter 11 comes, and in the style of an Old Testament prophet, he gives a visual picture of what Paul will face in Jerusalem, taking Paul's belt, tying himself up, saying, thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Note two things. One, that they prophesy is not the main point of this passage. What the prophecy is, is the main point of this passage. But a quick note nonetheless. Note that Agabus's prophecy is a case of foretelling, not simply teaching, and it's not simply forthtelling. That is, he's not simply calling a spade a spade. Rather, he, by the Spirit, has some knowledge of what will happen in the future. So 
Wherever you land on New Testament prophecy and whether the gift is still active, let your view take into account that New Testament prophecy must mean more than teaching, and it also must at times mean more than saying the hard word. Here he is foretelling the future. And I know many of you would love for me to say more here, but I won't take that side road any further. I don't want to chase that rabbit trail away from the main point. Second, note that the Spirit's message is suffering awaits you. The Spirit's message is not don't go. In verse 12, the people make the leap from one to the other, reasoning that if they're going to bind you, then therefore you should not go. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Of course, in Acts, we means Luke is there. And in verse 12, he takes special pains saying we and the people to make to highlight that he is among those, Luke himself is among those trying to persuade Paul not to go. They are making a leap from it's going to be hard to therefore you should not go. Church, do we not still feel that same pool today? Out of a well-meaning love for our brothers and sisters. Don't we feel that pull to get ourselves or our brothers and sisters off the hook? Like alleviating some burden even while it might be just the very burden God has called them to bear. The hard thing may be the thing that God wants to use in their life for their good and for his glory. Oh, you haven't spent any time with the Lord in weeks? Well, you know, it's just a busy season of life for you right now. I went to a well-meaning friend one time, asked him how I should give to the church when I feel like I'm barely making ends meet. His counsel to me was, God doesn't want you to be homeless. Can I tell you, it would have been hard, but it would have been better if they'd said, find a way to give something regularly, even if it's not much. It took me years to get back on track after that. I wonder how, how many times the conviction of the Spirit might be doused when we Open up about how God is burdening us only to find well-meaning brothers and sisters too quick to assure us that we not feel that kind of burden. What if, what if this family was in your base group? Dad, 28, three years married, has a 10-month-old daughter, Gifted teacher with a good education. But he starts feeling burden for the Warani people of Ecuador. No one's made contact with them and they're known to be violent. What's your base group's counsel to him? Come on, Jim. 
You've got a family to think about. You've got an infant daughter. The Bible says if you don't provide for them, you're worse than an unbeliever. God gives us a brain, Jim. Don't be a fool. I don't know. Would we still, church, would we still have the stomach to send Jim Elliott and four others to die on the banks of the river in Ecuador? Much less let his wife move her and her daughter into that very people group just a few years later? If we're not careful to guard our counsel from drifting to the easy road, we would tell a young Martin Lloyd-Jones to keep practicing medicine. We'd tell a young Oswald Sanders to keep practicing law. And we'd tell a younger Ken Rucker to keep doing Georgia Tech things. (laughs) There's a place for godly pushback. I feel like God is calling me is not a trump card statement exempt from others speaking into your life. If everyone in your life is telling you not to do something, it's a good sign you should hit pause. But church, let's make certain we aren't using a broken rubric that mistakenly diagnoses difficulty as disobedience. Let's not assume someone's made a wrong turn just because the road gets a little bit bumpy. Paul must persevere in community and against pushback as he seeks to pour out his life for the name of the Lord Jesus. In verse 13, we see Paul's answer to the pushback he receives. What are you doing Weeping and breaking my heart, for I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. The people's appeals had rose to the level of weeping, and this is taking a toll on Paul, breaking his heart. But then he tells them something very similar to what he told the Ephesian elders, I am ready even to die. If my very life be required of me, then I'm ready to pour that out. Paul is himself practicing the very words he has, at this point, recently penned to the Roman church. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul's life is laid before King Jesus And King Jesus is free to dispense with that however he sees fit. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. In the end, the other Christians relent, concluding that this path is indeed the will of the Lord. And look, we know that the prophets weren't wrong in their prediction of suffering. The remainder of Acts will detail that for us. Paul will go to Jerusalem. (laughs) He'll be arrested on a trumped-up charge, beaten here, beaten there, survive a plot to kill him. He'll appeal to Caesar, which will set in motion trial after trial. He'll be shipwrecked on the island of Malta. But get this, because he didn't shrink back from the difficult path, 
he will, along the way, write many of his letters. And in the end, by God's providence, he fulfills his gospel dream of ministering in Rome as the book of Acts closes. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Um, I don't know if they still have this, but some of you will remember the Staples Easy Button commercials. I felt old looking this up. They started in 2005. Um, but someone, uh, the, the Staples Easy Button says someone, uh, it's someone is facing a difficult task, like changing the diapers of twins or going through a difficult surgery, and they just hit the button, and it says, that was easy, right? And poof, it's magically over with. Like, you hit the button, and it's, it's done. We're on the other side of it. Church, we know there's no such thing as an easy button, right? <clears throat> In just two months, when 28 families tear ourselves away from here and make no mistake as excited as I am as amped as I am it is a tearing away for us to leave this precious body on August 13th Lord willing when that happens when you show up for worship and we're gone it will not be easy and as you carry on with the work of reaching this community with the gospel, it will not be easy. It will take sacrifice. It will take stepping up to proclaim the gospel. It will take stepping up to fill volunteer needs. And for us that are going, it's not going to be easy. It will take sacrifice. It will take an uncomfortable boldness to take the gospel to those who don't know Jesus. It will take serving in ways we haven't served before. Yes, it may even take that dreaded setup and tear down in a space that we don't own someday. Moreover, there's no easy button to grow in grace. It takes sustained discipline. It takes ferocious seeking. It takes life's valleys, valleys and mountaintops and it takes a great deal of spirit-filled introspection and daily repentance. There's no easy button that comes alongside someone else and helps them grow in grace. That takes work, it takes time, it takes real investment in one another's life. It takes putting something on the calendar, opening up God's word to help them grow in grace. And I thank God that so many brothers and sisters did not take the easy path, but they took the difficult path in my life so that they could pour into me. There's no easy button that helps you have that gospel conversation that you've been wanting to have with your friend, your neighbor, your coworker. It's probably going to be hard. If you're waiting for it to be easy, it's probably not going to come. Church, there's no uh, easy button that will plant a church in Waltham or Weymouth in the Boston area. One of my neighbors that we blessed during Serve Week is originally from Waltham. I told her that we supported a church there, and she says, there's no good churches in Waltham. Yes, ma'am, there is. Because Clint and Kevin 
and their families responded to the call of God to do the hard work of seeing a church established in Waltham. You know, there's no easy button that takes the gospel for the first time ever to the Malayali people of Papua New Guinea. But praise God that Chad and Martha Earl and their teammates said yes to the path that was not easy. And praise God for all of their supporters who sacrificed their money to send them and make that happen. I pray that the Lord would be so kind to raise up, even from our very midst, others who will do the hard work of learning a language, learning a culture, proclaiming the gospel, seeing a church established, and hanging on to see it strengthened and self-sustaining. There could be another missionary sitting in this very room today. Or downstairs, chowing down on goldfish in one of our kids' rooms. And listen, mom or dad, if that be your son or daughter, if that even be one of mine, make sure you count the cost. You make sure they count the cost. You make sure they know what they are getting into. But if it's clear that they have the call of God on their life, then you get out of the way. And you say together with the saints of verse 14, let the will of the Lord be done. And you let them go, even if it means you have to hop on a plane to one day go see your grandbabies. Because it's not easy, but it's worth it. And it's worth it because it's for the name of the Lord Jesus Paul says, I'm, not re- I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul is not an ascetic steering towards the hard just for difficulty's sake. He's not a masochist steering toward pain because he enjoys pain. Paul is first and foremost a worshiper enthralled with the glory of the Lord Jesus, and it is the name of the Lord Jesus that makes it all worth it. Church, hear me. We're not all called down the same path as Paul. I kind of hope none of you are called down this path. I kind of like you. I hope you're not called to this kind of suffering. We're not all called to be vocational missionaries. Clearly, we're not all called to be pastors, but we are all called to pour out our lives for the sake of the name of Jesus. In the military, one person's a pilot, one person's a cook, another's an electrician, but all have the same overall mission. In the church, one person's a pastor, another a missionary, another stay-at-home mom, another business owner, teacher, and so on. All have the same mission. We're not called to the same mode of operation, but we are called to the same motivation. All of us are equally called to behold the glory of Christ and then pour out our lives for his name. As is the case throughout the book of Acts, the phrase, the name of the Lord Jesus, represents all of who Jesus is as Lord and Savior. In Acts 2, the name of the Lord saves 
further on, it's the name of Jesus Christ that they are baptized into for the forgiveness of sins. Acts 3, the name of Jesus Christ heals. In 4, signs and wonders are performed through the name of Jesus. Same chapter, and if you're here today and you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, then hear this if you hear nothing else. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Your only hope of forgiveness is trusting in the cross of Christ to be saved. Your only hope is to throw yourself on the mercies of Jesus who lived the sinless life we have not lived and paid the price we could not pay so that we would be redeemed back from our wayward rebellion and live our lives under the good and gracious reign of King Jesus. If that's you today, and you're cut to the heart and are ready to follow Jesus, then talk to the person that you came with. Talk to the person sitting beside you. Talk to any of us who have been up front this morning. There is no other name by which you can be saved. That's where we are staking all of our hope. Carrying on with the name of Jesus, in chapter 5, the church rejoices that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name Chapter 9, they preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And 15, men have risked their lives for the name of Jesus. In 19, fear fell upon them all, and the name of Jesus was extolled. And now, Paul is ready not only to be imprisoned, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. It's about value. It's about value worth. It's about what our priorities are. It's about what is ultimate. And for Paul, what is ultimate was already settled. He said in chapter 20, I don't, I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Or in Romans 14, if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Or as he will soon write from his upcoming imprisonment in Philippians 1, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Look, what is ultimate is settled for Paul. He is not ultimate. Jesus is ultimate. Our family is not ultimate. Important, not ultimate. Our job, not ultimate. Our comfort, not ultimate. Our stuff, furthest thing from ultimate. But when we give up a lesser thing for something more ultimate, that's actually no sacrifice at all. 
That's rightly ordered affections. That just makes sense. That's why Jesus can set his face to Jerusalem, knowing what awaits him there. That's why Paul can do the same. Do we think we're going to follow Jesus in a way that costs us nothing? Our lives are not our own. They belong to King Jesus, and King Jesus is free to press us into his service however he sees fit. So when Jesus calls us to do something, no matter the difficulty, our answer must be, yes, anything for you, Lord. Let the will of the Lord be done. Let me say, I know that some of you are here today and your yes is already on the table. You've already surrendered to God's call on your life, and yet he hasn't opened any doors, and he's closed quite a few. That's hard. Okay, I lived a decade of my life in that place. May he give you much grace, and may you persevere being faithful where he's got you now, and faithful to continue pursuing his will in your life. But listen, Others of you, I think you know the hard thing that God has called you to do. Maybe you know the person he wants you to reach out to, the brother or sister he wants you to disciple, the calling he wants you to walk out in, but because it's hard, you've so far held back. To you, I just want to say, Jesus is worth it. And church, I close with this. This may be something of my own parting words. While we don't head out until August, if the present preaching schedule holds, then today, I'm getting soft in my old age. Today may very well Mark, the last time I stand in this pulpit as a member of New Branch Community Church. That be the case, I'd very much like to go out like this. First, I love you all. I love this church. I will forever be grateful for the ministry of this church family in my life and in my family's. Second, Jesus is worth it. Behold the glory of Christ. Look deep into the glories of the gospel. You will see that whatever hard thing, whatever so-called sacrifice he might call you to, he is worth it all. And so, let us persevere in pouring out our lives for the name of the Lord Jesus. Let us go from here today, laying a blank page before the Lord yet again and saying, God, whatever you want from me, it's yours. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the gospel. 
We thank you that we get to come underneath your good and gracious reign, that you give us, redeem us back to our purpose of glorifying you, and then we get the exhilarating thrill of living that out. Father, I pray that you would speak to each and every child of yours here now, and that you would make clear to them their role that you have for them in your kingdom. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.